Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me today on our second episode previewing the upcoming 2021 University of Georgia football season. It's Saturday afternoon in Athens, and today we are talking about quarterbacks. Quarterback I have said many times on the podcast, it's the most important position in sports. We are going to dig into the history of Georgia quarterbacks dating over the last 20 seasons. We're going to talk about some numbers that explain just how important the quarterback position is at Georgia and what the key indicators are for successful seasons in Athens versus the seasons that haven't been so successful. Finally, we're going to talk a little bit about Kirby Smart how he's handled the quarterback position in the past and how he may have to handle some more difficult quarterback decisions moving forward. And of course, we are going to dig in to the quarterback position for this year, talk about JT Daniels, but also the guys behind him who hopefully will not have to be featured in 2021. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's dig in and talk about the quarterback position at the University of Georgia. We're going to start today where we ended last week, and we're going to talk about the expectations that are on this team coming into the season. I mentioned it last week, but I want to flesh it out just a little bit more. The the reason the expectations are so high for Georgia actually center, I believe, around this quarterback position. Georgia brings JT Daniels back from last year's team. Now, we'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes, but Georgia's bringing a quarterback back that played well last year. Meanwhile... Florida's lost its quarterback and has a brand-new starter. Alabama lost its quarterback, has a brand-new starter. Ohio State lost their quarterback. They have a brand-new starter. And at Clemson, even though DJ played some last year, they have lost Trevor Lawrence, and Clemson has a brand-new starter. So, the positive of Georgia bringing back a starter has kind of been magnified a little bit by the fact that some of these other programs are going to have new starting quarterbacks and I think that has from a national perspective skewed the way people look at Georgia. Now one of the most fun parts of the podcast for me is being able to take the way I feel and try to back it up with some numbers. So we're going to do that today because in in my active fanhood, which really probably dates back to about 96, 97, but that's a very kind of right in the middle of the dawning year, so I didn't want to use that. So we're just, I took from 2001, which is Mark Rick's first year, because that's a nice round number of 20 seasons. And since 2001, I feel like Georgia has had some really good quarterbacks. In my mind, you went from David Green to Matt Stafford to Aaron Murray, to, wait, what? And that's that's what we're going to talk about here in just a second. And then, you know, then you get into the Eason and the Fromm in the last couple of years. So I wondered to myself, overall, it feels like Georgia has been a very good program. You know, obviously a lot of ups and downs in those 20 years. But Georgia's been a, a prominent program for these last two decades. But do the ups and downs coincide specifically with the quarterback position because as I just kind of started thinking about it trying to put the quarterback position at Georgia in its context it felt like when Georgia has a good quarterback Georgia's a very good team but there's been a lot of times in those 20 years where the quarterback position hasn't been as settled and so I I wanted just to run some numbers here's what I came up with 
Over the past 20 years, Georgia has a record overall of 197 and 65. That's a 75.2% win percentage. So Georgia's winning three out of four games over the last 20 years. That's very good. In the conference, in the SEC, 115 and 46, 71% win percentage in the hardest conference in America over the last 20 years. Now, I just had to kind of define this the way that I could. There have been, in those 20 years, 10 seasons with either a new starting quarterback or a season where multiple quarterbacks started games. That's the way I've had to define this. In those seasons, listen to these numbers. Georgia's 89 and 38 in those 10 seasons. That's a 70% win percentage. And in the conference, 51 and 30, a 63% win percentage in the SEC. Significant drop. Which means, people who, who know math can, can see where it's coming on the other side, in the 10 seasons where Georgia has returned a starter that has experience, Georgia is 108 and 27 overall. That's an 80% win percentage. And this is the number to kind of keep in mind. In, in mind. 64 and 16 over 10 years with a returning starter in the SEC. This is the Saban era. This covers when Tennessee was actually decent at the beginning of 2000s. This covers the years where Urban Meyer was at Florida. In that time period, with a returning starting quarterback, Georgia is 64 and 16, an 80% win percentage in the conference. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that in those 10 seasons, Georgia's averaging less than two conference losses a year, and that factors in a title game. So since 2001, two-thirds of Georgia's losses in the conference have happened in those what I'm going to refer to as quarterback flux seasons. Now, I want to talk about those seasons just a little bit, not to get too lost here, but in particular, there's two that are kind of outliers. So in 2005, technically, Georgia won an SEC championship with D.J. Shockley as their quarterback, and he was a first-year starter. Now, the difference is, unlike the other years that we're going to talk about, D.J. was a senior who had been in the program for three full seasons, and he was taking over, and he had played a lot during. He had never made a start that I could remember. I tried to, I, you know, I was just trying to do a lot of this off of memory. I mean, I looked the numbers up, but. I don't remember DJ making a start, but he had played a lot. So he was a new starter, and that does count in 2005 as one of those quarterback flux seasons. But Georgia won the SEC that year. They went 10-3, and the third loss being in the Sugar Bowl to West Virginia. The other outlying year was 2017, when Eason started the first game and Fromm started the rest of the season as a true freshman. As we know, Georgia 13-2, and the second loss coming to Alabama in the national championship game, but 7-1 and one in the conference and, again, an SEC, East, or an SEC championship in that year. Let's talk about some of these other flux years. Those are the two outlier flux years. But we talk about 2001 when David Green split time with um, Corey Phillips, 8-4. and four. 2006, that was a year that I was at every game. Uh, as a student, that year you had Joe uh, Joe Tereshinsky the third, Joe Cox, and 
Matt Stafford all-start games, 9-4 and four that year. After getting hot at the end of the year, that was a 4-4 four and four record in the conference. 2009, I still counted this as a flux year because Cox was the starter that year after sitting two years behind Stafford, 8-5, and five, again 4-4 four and four in the conference. 2010, six and seven, the only losing season Georgia's had in the last 20 years. Uh, this was Aaron Murray's freshman year. Georgia was very up and down, obviously, with a true freshman quarterback, three and five in the conference. The next time, because Murray started for four years in a row, 2014 kicked off four straight years of just a lot of movement at the quarterback position. And it is no wonder that right in the middle of this 2014 15 16 and 17 new quarterbacks a lot of different guys over those four seasons and right in the middle of it after the 15 season is when mark rick was replaced so in 2014 that was hudson's hudson mason's year 10 and 3 6 and 2 in the conference not terrible but no uh no championship no sec title game to uh appearance or anything like that 15 9 and 3 that was the year that we got Ramsey and Lambert back and forth, and then the debacle in Jacksonville with Fatone Bauta. Hard to remember this because that was an eight or a, a, like a nine and three year, five and three in the SEC. Not not very good, and that's why Mark Rick got fired. The next year we go Lambert and then Eason, um, and obviously that eight and five, four and four. That's the one year if you look at Kirby's record overall it's like hey, which one of these is not like the other but that was a year where he told you from the beginning of the year we don't have the guys to compete the way I want to um and then obviously 17 we talked about a minute ago and then that leads us to 20 where last year very similar to the 2006 year very similar to the 2015 year three different starting quarterbacks last year and we didn't even play 12 games it was only nine regular season games with the Peach Bowl at the end. So nine regular season games, you get three different starting quarterbacks, and it's no wonder that last year was such a disappointment. And when you really look at the numbers compared to those other years that were just so in flux, honestly, if you think about the fact that Georgia started three quarterbacks, eight and two with that schedule, all SEC and then Cincinnati in the bowl game, that's actually maybe not that bad in hindsight. So I think what when we want to look at this, what it tells us is Georgia returning a starter is extremely important. And it's a, it's a key indicator of what kind of year Georgia can expect to have. Now the problem is, do we consider Daniels to be a returning starter? Obviously he started at the end of last year, but is he – in 2021 similar to Aaron Murray in 2011 and 2012 or is he more similar maybe to you know a guy like Lambert who had started games in 15 he started the first game in 16 and then we never heard from that dude again um I, obviously time will tell but I think what we do have to recognize is the numbers do bear it out. 80% win percentage in the conference when they have a returning starting quarterback. And technically, Georgia has a returning starting quarterback this year. So the expectations, while they may be a little exacerbated, in my opinion, by what's going on around the country at the quarterback position, I think the argument can be made that Georgia has proven that there should be heavy expectations when a quarterback is coming back. Now, 
let's kind of move away from the Rick era and focus strictly of on Kirby Smart in the last five full seasons. I'm about to say something that I might have said differently, but I really I've dug into this and I've thought a lot about it leading up to this podcast. And the reality of UGA under Kirby Smart is that Kirby's inability to effectively manage the quarterback talent at the school has stopped Georgia from winning a national championship. Now, if you hear me say that, you may think, oh, he's going all nuts on us. No, just just let me talk about it here. So when Eason left, you know, the, the, the thing you'll hear guys say, you know, commentators, uh, you know, people that write about the team, you know, they always talk about how Georgia hasn't had the quarterback, and that's what the team has been missing. And I agree with that. Georgia has not had a quarterback on the level of your Alabama with Tua, your Joe Burrow at LSU, uh, Justin Fields at Ohio State. Yes, we're going to talk about it in a second. But Georgia hasn't had that transcendent quarterback, and Georgia hasn't won a national championship. You know, Trevor, obviously, I didn't mean to forget Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. So that's just the reality. Now, what happened in 17 was actually, I think, a pretty good job with of, of how Kirby handled it. So Ethan, Eason left after his injury. He was the first of three straight five-star quarterbacks recruited by Kirby Smart. Kirby had to hold Eason, who was a Rick recruit. He, he, he convinced him to go ahead and come in in 16. He played all of 16 except for that first game. Um, and then he comes in as, you know, exactly what we kind of think uh you know we're gonna have in in you know this year with a guy that played a lot like you know the year before comes in and he's supposed to be the guy and three three series into the season he gets hurt Fromm played really well the team played really well and Fromm was the quarterback and so Kirby didn't mess with it in 17 and Eason leaves after 17, which makes all the sense in the world from his perspective because he's behind a guy who just beat him out for the starting job and took the team to the national championship game. And he sees this freshman coming in who was the top recruit in the country, um, according to some. He was 1-1A one one with Trevor Lawrence. But Fields is coming in, so you've got two guys that you're competing with, and so that's why Eason leaves. And you can't really do anything about that. Fields comes in in 18, and Fromm had just led the team to a national title game as a freshman. But I think we can all accept in hindsight that Fields never got a chance to win the job. Now, is all of that on Kirby? I don't think so. I think Justin Fields' attitude uh, probably was not great, and I'm not sure that Justin Fields goes on to do what he did at Ohio State if he had not matured from the situation that he experienced at Georgia. But the reality is... While Justin shouldn't have been starting the first game as a true freshman over Fromm, who had just led Georgia to the national championship game, you can you cannot look at the situation objectively and say that Justin Fields was not a better quarterback than Jake Fromm. The, the numbers in college flesh that out. The NFL has confirmed it at this point. Jake Fromm was a fifth-round pick. Justin Fields just went in the top half of the first round. And I think there was a moment. There was a moment that Justin Fields should have gotten a, a shot, and it was in the second half of the road game at LSU in 2018. Fromm was having a bad day. Kirby had faked a kick. He was having a bad day. And 
Georgia was just behind. And it, it at no point in that second half did it feel like you could just keep doing what you were already doing and at some point it was going to – it was going to click, and Georgia was going to get back in that game. And I remember my brother Jared was at the game, and he and I are texting and we're saying, like, Fields has got to come in, right? you got to put Fields in. What do you have to lose at this point? And he never did it. Kirby never put Fields in in that game. And that was a moment where Kirby had an opportunity to do what Saban had done to him about 10 months earlier. Because in the national championship game, you had a guy in Jalen Hurts who had gotten Alabama all the way to the national championship game. But when it wasn't working, Saban pulled the trigger, put Tua in the game, and won a national championship. Kirby couldn't pull the trigger. And at the end of that season, if we just stay with me for a second, that loss meant that Georgia had to beat the unbeatable Alabama in the SEC championship game. Well, Georgia has Alabama beat in the 18 title game, in the SEC title game, and throws the game away. Fields only really sees the the, the field uh, on the fake punt at the end of the game that ended up being, you know, kind of what everybody remembers. But what they should remember is the fact that Georgia was in complete and total control of that game in the first half, and we gave it away again. Georgia ends up fifth in the rankings, doesn't get into the playoff because they had two losses. That second loss was this LSU game that I'm talking about. And so, listen, that 18 Clemson team, probably, arguably, one of the best in college football history. The first team to ever go 15-0, LSU would do it the very next year. But that 15 Clemson team, or that 18 Clemson team, excuse me, was excellent. So I'm not saying that Georgia could have gotten into the playoff that year and would have won the national championship, but they didn't get into the playoff not because of the disappointment against Alabama, but because Kirby didn't pull the trigger and give Fields a chance. So then after the season, when he never really felt like he got a shot, Fields transfers, goes to Ohio State, leads Ohio State to the playoff back-to-back years and to the national championship game last year. He didn't win it, but Alabama or sorry, Ohio State was in the playoff the last two years. Georgia has not been in the playoff the last two years. In hindsight, we can see that 17 was Fromm's best year. And he regressed. You can look right at his numbers. All you have to do is go to ESPN, look up Jake Fromm, look up his college numbers. You can look at 17, 18, and 19, and it's the, the, the completion percentage goes down every year. The touch total touchdowns goes down. Um, well, he threw more touchdowns in 18 than 17. But just statistically, you can see interceptions went up every year. He was his best in 17 when he was doing the least. And they were relying on Sonny and, and Nick to carry the ball the most. And it was a very, like, Nick Saban 2008, you know, uh, A.J. McCarron-type quarterback performance. Fromm at no point in his Georgia career showed that he could put the team on his back and be the star. That wasn't the quarterback Jake Fromm was. What we saw at Ohio State was that was the quarterback that Justin Fields was. Kirby made the wrong call. Justin Fields should have gotten an opportunity to do what he did at Ohio State at Georgia in 18. Now, if he doesn't come in and play well against LSU, maybe you start him the next week or you give him a start at some point, if he doesn't end up playing well and he decides to transfer, okay, fine. But at no point did Kirby really give him a chance. So when he transfers, you can't really blame Fields. His attitude sucked. 
His excuse for leaving was garbage. But we saw what he did at Ohio State. We now see that he's a first-round pick of the NFL. And I believe that if Kirby Smart had his way last year, during the pandemic, would have been the first year that, that Justin really got an opportunity. So after Fields leaves in 18, we got Fromm just riding out 19. No clear backup. And, and, and I personally believe that in 19, Fromm wasn't being pushed the way he was in 17 and 18. And I, I think that mentally just kind of, he relaxed a little bit. So then coming into 2020, which is where we're going with all this, coming into last season, you're depending on a couple of different transfers. Now, what happened with Jamie Newman was not Kirby Smart's fault. Jamie Newman is, you know, recruited. He was brought here. He chose Georgia. He had other options. He comes to Georgia. He's here, and a month before the season starts, he's he opts out. Now, no quarter or no uh, head coach, no offense can just pick up and like not miss a beat given that situation, especially in a year where you didn't have spring practice and you you don't have a normal fall practice, and there was all this back and forth about the season. Once Newman opted out, Georgia was in a terrible situation. Daniels is banged up. As it turns out, Mathis wasn't ready, and Bennett just plain isn't good enough. So even last season, I think there are legitimate questions about when JT Daniels could have been playing. So my issue now going into this season is what JT did last year was impressive. But the problem is he did it against South Carolina he did it against Missouri. He did it against Mississippi State and you know, a good Cincinnati team, but it's still Cincinnati. So trying to project what we think JT Daniels is, we don't have a great idea about that because he didn't play till late in the season and he definitely didn't play in the biggest games Georgia had last year. So the context of what we're talking about right now is how Kirby's managed the quarterback position. So I want to kind of break down last year in hindsight, again, with what we know now, with what's been reported and what's been, you know, verbally talked about, specifically with JT, what he said, you know, Newman opts out. The first game was on September 26th, and JT Daniels has said he was not cleared. He could not have played. He was not medically cleared. So Mathis gets the start, as we know, does not play well. Bennett comes in. Georgia barely beats Arkansas on the road. The next two weeks, Georgia beats Auburn and Tennessee and looks good doing it. And Bennett, while he doesn't look like a superstar, he looks kind of, you know, he looks fromish from 2017. He's managing the offense. The team blew away Auburn, who it turns out is not very good. Blew away Tennessee, turns out was very bad. So at the time, we thought those were two good teams, and those, those wins look a lot better in the moment than they do at the end of the season which is a part of the problem with college football because you have those rankings and you think a win is big at the time and then you get to the end of the year and it's like, well, of course Georgia beat Tennessee. Tennessee fired their coach and they were complete trash last year. So whoop-de-doo, beating Tennessee doesn't mean anything. But at the time, it felt like it meant something. So Georgia beats two of its biggest rivals, Auburn and Tennessee at home, and then we know they go on the road and they're leading Alabama at halftime, but they end up losing that game. So that... Alabama game was on the 17th of October. Cleared, JT Daniels was cleared the week after the Arkansas game. So let's just say he's cleared around the 1st of October. He is cleared, medically cleared to play. 
Georgia has an off week after the Alabama game, and on October 31st, they only score 14 points against an average Kentucky team last year. So this is the moment to me where I say, during that game against Kentucky, when nothing was going right and the team looked lethargic and the offense looked terrible, yeah, Georgia won the game 14-3, to but, I mean, if you, you didn't come out of that game feeling good about Florida at all. Florida was putting points up on everybody. Florida was playing great at that point, right? So Georgia went into the game in Jacksonville as the underdog because Georgia coming off a 14-point effort against Kentucky where it just seemed like we were content to 14-3 to and we'll see the Gators next week in Jacksonville. It wasn't inspiring, and there was no reason in my mind looking back at it now that JT shouldn't have gotten in that game. We know in Jacksonville, Georgia gets off to a hot start and then gets absolutely boat raced 44-28. That was on the 7th. There's an off week after, and then Daniels throws four touchdowns and for 400 yards on the 21st. So it's all time. You know, I know I've thrown a lot of dates at you, and it was probably a little bit hard to keep up with that. My question is, should we be coming in with so little data on JT this year. And I and I believe that maybe Daniels wasn't all the way ready against Kentucky. And, hey, look, if you're not ready to put Daniels in there cold against Florida and Jacksonville, like I, 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 I do understand that. But when you look back on the totality of the season, the guy that's your starting quarterback coming into 2021 – who is head and shoulders a better than the two guys he was competing with at this time last year, we know Stetson Bennett is not good enough. We know Dwan Mathis wasn't ready for prime time and he is now transferred. It's obvious of those three quarterbacks, kind of like we did with the Fromm and Fields comparison, one of these is much better than the other two. And yet again, it seems to have taken a lot of time to put Daniels in a situation to where he could be the the guy. And once he was the guy last year, you're like, oh, crap, I wish I could see what this team would do against Alabama. Well, guess what? You didn't get that option because you went to Jacksonville and laid an egg after not looking good offensively against Kentucky the week before. So I think it's a, a fair question to ask why Daniels didn't play in the second half against Florida. When Mathis, Mathis, got an opportunity to come into that game in the second half to try to see what he could do, why wasn't that Daniels? And i got to be honest with you, Kirby's explanations last year were not good enough for me when he's talking about, well, he didn't have enough reps with the first team. Well, whose fault is that? We didn't have enough time in practice. You can't get three guys going. Yeah, I know, but whose fault is that? It's just questionable. Kirby has to start getting the quarterback position right or his failure to do so is going to end up being his legacy at UGA. All right, all right, that's enough negativity. Let's move on. Let's talk about JT Daniels. So as everybody probably knows by now, Daniels was the starting quarterback at USC as a true freshman in 2018. That year, just some just general numbers, he had about 60% completion percentage, a little bit over 2,600 yards, 14 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. Uh, translate to, meh, he was fine. But as freshmen go, not too shabby. Gets hurt in 19 and then obviously doesn't play, only plays four games last year for us in 20. 
in those four games, he averaged over 300 yards a game passing, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions. His completion percentage was 67%. Now, what I did is I took those four games, and I understand it's against lesser competition, so I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying this is a perfect, um, <laughs> a perfect mathematical way to do this, but I just took those four games and projected it over a 12-game season. You know, obviously the yards per game is going to be the same, 67%. That's going to be the same. But that's a 30-touchdown and six-interception season with over 3,600 yards passing. Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick from Clemson, played in 12 games last year. In those 12 games, he threw for just over 3,700 yards, 29 touchdowns, and six interceptions. What I am saying is that if you take what Daniels did at the end of last year, and if he does that for a season, he equals, statistically, what Trevor Lawrence did last year. Now, I'm not saying that JT Daniels is as good as Trevor Lawrence, but kind of like a money ball thought process, if you can get that kind of production, that production out of the quarterback position at Georgia, with everything else Georgia has going on, maybe those expectations aren't so crazy after all. It is absolutely imperative that JT Daniels and only JT Daniels have a very good season this year. Now, the guys over at UGASports.com put out a podcast about two or three months ago when things were really slow and it's like, we don't have anything else to talk about. Can JT Daniels win the Heisman? Listen, of course he can. The season hasn't started. Anybody can win the Heisman, right? He doesn't have to win a Heisman or go to New York for Georgia to be in the title picture. But he has to be one of the reasons that Georgia is winning. The variable in my mind for this season is that despite the fact that Georgia has a returning quarterback, despite the fact that I can project those numbers and it looks really good, he hasn't proven that he can do this. So you, it's like you have enough data to feel confident, but not enough data to really feel like It's a sure thing. The fact that he hasn't done it doesn't mean he can't do it, but the idea that Georgia's bringing back a proven quarterback when Alabama, Ohio State, and Florida aren't is an overstatement of Daniels' ability at this point. I think Daniels can be good, but he has not been tested at any point in his college career the way he's going to be tested on September 5th in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I think that is the key to this season for Georgia. Because as much as in the grand scheme of the college football playoff, the Clemson game is not the end all and be all of this season. But for the offense, for JT Daniels, a great game against Clemson where Georgia wins puts the program and this season on a trajectory where you will hear me say, and, I, and I'm going to say this now, if Georgia can beat Clemson, I don't care if they beat them by two points, 14 points, if the offense is great, if Daniels is great, and Georgia beats Clemson, you are going to hear me say that Georgia should be in the playoff. That's where the team is going to be. Because there's nothing else after Clemson in the regular season that matters, and then you're just talking about some unnamed team in the championship game in Atlanta in early December, and it you got to win the game at that point. You got to win the game, and you got to be in the college football playoff, and you have to be competing for a national championship. But think about the other side of that coin. 
if Daniel struggles and Georgia loses to Clemson, there's nothing else, nothing else on Georgia's schedule to give him the confidence that even at 11-1, and you go up against an LSU, an A&M, or, of course, Alabama in the championship game. What makes you think he can win that game? It is, it is crazy to me how I can look on paper and say the Clemson game is the one game Georgia can lose this year and be okay. But in a lot of ways, when you think about the individual performances, the confidence that the team needs, and not necessarily the confidence the team needs in week two against UAB or week three against South Carolina, but the confidence they're going to need in a championship game against one of the best teams in the country and out of the West – whoever survives that bloodbath, how in the world is there anything that Daniels or Georgia will do during the regular season outside of the game in Charlotte to make you think they can play with Alabama? Doesn't mean they won't, but to me, so much of this is about momentum and confidence. And man, I just feel like Georgia missed an opportunity, in hindsight, last year to get Daniels some more experience. Because as crazy as it might have been to have him in that atmosphere in Florida, if he had, you know, in Jacksonville, if he had not practiced a lot, he might not have played well. If it gets in his head, maybe he never has the end of the season that he has. You, you, you don't know. But man, this Clemson game, the more I think about it, the more I think it defines the season. Now, there is a world where Georgia plays great, loses a close game to Clemson, takes that confidence. They know they can play with the best teams, and they, they, they do something special at the end of the year. But that feels like a much longer shot than just playing well from the beginning. Let's take a few minutes to talk about the backups. But let's, let's say it right now, and I'll say it again in a minute. If any of the guys I'm about to talk about play this year, we are back in that, hey, it's not going to be one of the good <laughs> – Seasons. Remember the difference in, hey, we got a returning quarterback statistically and, hey, we got multiple guys playing is a a big difference. That's a big difference statistically. Over 10 years, it's a 10% difference in winning percentage. It's almost a 20% difference in win percentage in the SEC. It is imperative that as much as I'm about to talk about these other guys – I don't want to see any of them play in any significant snap this entire season. We'll start with the guy that I think is going to be the backup, and that's Carson Beck. Four-star guy. He is now coming into his second year in the program. He was a freshman last year. He was like the only guy on the roster that didn't really play last year, uh, which kind of made me in my head think, eh, maybe he's just not that great candidate for, okay, let's get some better quarterbacks in here and let Carson Beck go somewhere else and play it like at Coastal Carolina or something. But Carson Beck was very impressive at G-Day. And to me, Beck is in an interesting position if something happens and you need another quarterback for whatever reason. He's got a full year in the system, which is, you know, obviously a positive. But he also only has... Todd Munkin as his offensive coordinator because he came in with Munkin. So that would be an interesting opportunity for Beck to get in and just kind of be as as, as expert. He has more time in the system than Daniels does because Daniels didn't come in until last fall. They didn't have spring practice, but they at least could have some meetings and stuff during the beginning part of the pandemic last year. He at least had the playbook, I guess is what I'm saying. Now, garbage time will not... Uh, exist against Clemson so that's not going to be happening 
But I think it's going to be very important for Georgia to beat the holy heck out of UAB, out of South Carolina, out of Arkansas. Those first few games of the year, you need to beat those teams to death and let Carson Beck get some, you know, play a quarter in each of those games. Because towards the end of the year, you have to realize something. JT Daniels has not played a full season since 2018. So, Hopefully, he's 100% healthy. Hopefully, he can make it through the whole year. But to just think that this guy who has played in all of four games since the beginning of calendar year 2019 is about to go on a run and send Georgia to a 15-0 and national championship and he's not going to miss any time, I think that's overestimating. I'm not saying he's going to get hurt. We're not going to have him. But a viable backup is going to be needed. Uh, And so it's going to be important early in this season for Georgia to take care of business, for Daniels to play great and to get the heck out of the game so Carson Beck can get in there and get some time. Now, a lot of Georgia fans will be going, wait a minute, I thought we had this guy, Brock Vandegrift, I thought he was going to be the backup. Listen, Vandegrift is a true freshman who lives right down the road from me here in Oconee County. He won a single-A championship, single-A private championship last year with Prince Avenue, and he looked good at G-Day. For a freshman, we don't want to see Brock Vandergriff this year, period. Brock Vandergriff needs to sit. He needs to, I mean, you know, if he comes in the last series of, you know, the UAB game, cool, great. It's not going to mean anything, but he'll get to, you know, dress up and throw the ball on the field and things like that. He needs to learn. I talked about this last year. You do not go from playing single A private to playing in the SEC without some major, major learning curve. And Georgia is not in a position to be able to let this guy learn on the job. So we need him to sit, be patient, get stronger, learn the offense, and give Daniels or Beck or whoever else in the world a run for their money and win the starting job next year. If Brock Vandergriff has to carry this team this year, We are not looking at a college football playoff caliber team. We're looking at a team that will hopefully manage it to win the SEC East and then get absolutely boat raced in the title game by whatever superpower comes out of the West. You do not go from Prince Avenue to Sanford Stadium. No offense to Prince Avenue. The other guy uh, that uh, we're going to at least mention, his name is Stetson Bennett. That guy's still here. Huh. Never again. We do not want to see Stetson Bennett. I don't want to see Stetson Bennett come in and like take a handoff. That's a waste of a handoff. We found that out last year. The best thing that Kirby Smart has going for him is the fact that if this year goes the way we hope it will, there are no quarterback decisions to be made. If Daniels can play well and stay healthy, you just throw them out there every single week. Georgia, you, you you win or lose with that guy. But you're not going to be in a position to have to make a big decision at the quarterback position this year. Hopefully. Now, does Daniels go pro after this year? Does Georgia have to figure out who the guy is next year? That's next year Jamie's problem, right? That's next year Georgia fan base problem. This year, it should be pretty simple. And I'm going to have to borrow from what I talked about a lot with the Braves is 
all the success the Braves had in 2020 with a short season and the expanded playoffs and all of that, one of the things that happened was last year was a little bit snit-proof. You didn't have to worry about burning through the bullpen. You didn't have to worry about when to pitch hit for the pitcher. It was snit-proof. Those are two things he's not good at, and you didn't have to worry about that. I'm not necessarily comparing apples to apples when I compare Kirby Smart to Brian Snicker, but this year should be Kirby-proof at the quarterback position. But there are choices coming. So Daniels is your starter for 21. He's a five-star guy. Let's yeah maybe he's he goes pro Georgia he's great he has a Burrow esque year okay let's just live in him thirty seconds of just living a dream Georgia wins the national championship Daniels is fantastic he goes to the pros you've got Beck a four star Vandergriff a five star you've got a commitment from Gunnar Stockton who's like an hour up the road from here also a five star who'll be rolling in January of twenty two. This may be an easy year for Kirby when it comes to making decisions at the quarterback position, but this job and these choices are not going to get easier as Georgia moves forward, and let's make no doubt about it, Kirby hasn't gotten it right a lot. He made the right call in 17, and Georgia almost won a title. He made the wrong call in 18, and it set Georgia back a couple years. He didn't make the right call again last year, and unfortunately, Georgia may suffer in 21 for the Kirby's mistake in 20. It's the most important position in sports, and it is for a reason. It's not easy. It's easy in hindsight to look back and say, this is what you should have done. But let's, let's all just understand what we have here. Kirby hasn't made the right call when it comes to the quarterback position. Hopefully, we don't need any calls to be made this year. But moving forward, this is Kirby Smart's biggest area of improvement. He can recruit. The defense is excellent. But he's got to figure out the quarterback position because it's the only thing standing between Georgia and national championships. More than one. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast again this week. I hope you enjoyed the the deep dive on the quarterback position. A lot of history today. That's not necessarily what I'm going to do moving forward. I just felt like the context of the quarterback position really necessitated we talk about what has happened in the past to try to look forward a little bit. Next week, we are going to have a ton of fun because we are digging in to the skill positions. We're going to talk running backs. We're going to talk wide receivers. We're going to talk tight ends. We are going to talk about Todd Munkin and what could be possible for this Georgia offense this year. We've talked about JT Daniels. We feel like we've got an above-average quarterback. But what about the guys around him? It's going to be a long episode because there's a lot of talent on offense. And just because you don't know their names doesn't mean they don't have talent. And hopefully, for the first time in a long time, Georgia will maximize its talent on offense in 2021. And the guys that we're going to talk about next week will become household names just like they have at LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson over the last few years. Again, I really appreciate you joining me. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. I hope you checked out episode one last week. I hope you rejoin me next week for Saturday afternoon in Athens. Go dogs.